Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Wendy Caputo to the show. Wendy, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Wendy is the Director of Lead to Revenue Process for Strategic Sales at PTC. They have over 6,000 employees, well over a billion dollars in revenue. They're actually a 30-year-old company that focused originally on software development in the computer-aided design and product lifecycle management space. That's a mouthful, so that's CAD and PLM. And today, they are a leader in driving the Internet of Things and augmented reality software. So a very cool company, and Wendy's got a pretty cool job that we're going to talk a lot about today. In particular, we're going to focus on how she and her company implemented a new model. And I'm going to keep that abstract for now for how to improve the performance of the organization. But I'm actually going to ask her first, get to know her a little bit, the first thing you ever remember selling. The first thing I remember selling, I had a lemonade stand, which was not successful because I lived on a cul-de-sac. So anybody who drove in the neighborhood lived in the neighborhood. So (laughs) that was not my uh, driver to be in the sales realm. I then moved into selling things from my room to neighborhood kids or to my brother who would then sell it back to me for more money. He told me that nickels were better than dimes because they were bigger. And I eventually got into sales for selling cars. That's actually how I met my husband. We used to sell cars at the same dealership 25 years ago. So that was my first experience into sales and how do you sell and what are processes and things like that and trying to figure out my own groove into selling. Well, we've had a few lemonade stand salespeople and I always ask this question when, when I get one, which is nowadays when you see kids by the side of the road selling lemonade, do you actually stop and buy some? No, I don't. They don't have cash, you know, and if they, unless they have a square for my, or they take Apple pay, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of hard to, to contribute. You're out of Boston, I think. If it were Silicon Valley, then maybe the kids do have Square or take Apple Pay. <laughs> right, right, right. In the suburbs around Boston. Not not yet. Yeah, probably not. I think I have yet to actually find somebody who does stop to buy lemonade from kids. And mostly the reason is, yeah, either the lack of actually hard cash as opposed to credit cards and Apple Pay and so on. But more more commonly, it's because they know that the lemonade is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Well, that could be, but I do stop at like the little car washes and stuff. Cause I'll see a sign and then I'll be like, Oh, I'm going right by there. I'll find some change in my purse or my car and I'll do it. You know, the football team car wash or something like that. It's good causes. All of them. Cause you're, I guess also with a lemonade stand, you're helping those kids become future salespeople for better or worse. Right. Uh, right. I, I don't know if I t- talked to someone who started their career in car sales. What, I mean, car salespeople get such a bad rep. Yes. Is what's the, what is the job like? Is that reputation deserved? For some, yes. Uh, now I have a blast buying a car because they try and pull the wool over my eyes or my husband's eyes and we just look at each other and laugh because we know all the tricks of the trade. But you learn you learn how to target your right audience and you learn how to target who to sell to. So a woman in car sales back in the 90s was not a popular thing. I was definitely in the minority of the world. So I learned very quickly the types of people that I was most successful with. Mother-daughter 
because if you sell them on something and you're on their side, then they bring dad in and it's three against one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely would target the father daughter and you sell the safety of the vehicle because he wants to make sure his little girl is safe and all of that good stuff. I would stay away from the father son because he's there to teach his son how to buy a car and haggle and all of that good stuff. And he's going to ask you questions that he probably doesn't even know the answers to about the powertrain and stuff like that. And, and he just wants to win and be a pain. Right. right? He just wants, he's there to teach his son how to buy a car. You learn who to, who to approach and who not to approach and, and things like that. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of carried me through a lot of things on knowing how to work with different types of personalities and things like that, whether it's in sales or in corporate world and things like that. It's the different personalities. How do you approach somebody with the dad teaching his son personality or the mother, daughter, get everybody on your side type of thing, or the, the father, daughter combo. So it kind of teaches you how to approach people in a way in which it'll be best received. Well, let's actually, so we're going to actually, the book that I'm going to ask you about is also today's topic. So let's, I'm going to ask you about your favorite sales book of all time and why. And then as, as I mentioned, that is actually going to lead very, very deeply into what we're going to talk about today. So what was that book? So it's not a, you know, find my cheese or the parachute book of that a lot of people, but it's actually a, a leadership book. It's called Zone to Win. It's by a gentleman named Jeffrey Moore. And I read it in the last three or four years. I read it because the leadership team here at PTC met Jeffrey Moore, read the book, and we adopted the culture into PTC. And so everybody in the company got a copy of the book. Everybody read it. There was no quiz or final exam. You didn't have to pass or to keep your job or anything, but it was an understanding of the culture shift that we were going through. Because going from a, an established market like a CAT and a PLM market into a paradigm market of industrial IoT and augmented reality is a huge shift for a company. We've been running on legacy world for 25 or 30 years, and now we're going into this whole new realm. And how are we going to get there? And what wave are we going to be riding into the next zone and things like that? So there's four zones in the zone to win world. There's the performance zone. This would be our legacy product that is continuously generating revenue for the company. There's the incubation, which is your up and coming products, what you're looking to develop and things like that. There is your productivity zone, which is what keeps the lights on in the company. And then there's your transformation zone. And these four zones are how PTC kind of buckets their worlds. And as we're going through this cultural shift, it morphed into not just how are we developing our products and how are we as a company changing our culture, but how are we selling? How are we approaching new business, existing business, expanding, renewing, things like that? So while we're going through this cultural shift of zone to win, we also went through a selling shift where we went from a perpetual model to a subscription model. So there's been a lot of disruption within PTC and it's been fast. This has all been happening over the last three years, I want to say, two and a half or three years. And so what it was is we adopted this I want to say kind of like a strategy vision called PTC 2020. And the 2020 was multi 
meaning. So it was 2020 for the year, for the year 2020. Well, where do we want to be in the year 2020 based on our zone to win? But it's also 2020 in hindsight, you know, so we want a clear vision into where we're going, how we want to get there. And we want to be able to convey that as a publicly traded company to the street on how we're going to get there. And so it kind of was twofold. And the company went through learning labs on zone to win, went through how subscription is going to impact you as a contributor, impact the company and impact how we go forward. So there was a lot of shifting going on. And as people adopted this zone to win, you became, as you made impacts to the company. So maybe you looked at one thing because we've been doing it for the last 20 years and this is how we do it and this is how we always do it. Well, is that the most efficient way to do it today and things like that? And as you, even the smallest little change in the small group or something like that, if it made a large enough impact, you were considered a change maker and then you were considered one of the leaders in this transformation of our company. So the Zone to Win book with its four zones has really elevated PTC as a company, not just to the street, but the people within the company. It's an adoption that people were hesitant to move to, but it's by the performance of the company, it's made leaps and bounds changes in, in everybody's attitude on the excitement of where we're headed. I love that you mentioned a Jeffrey Moore book. I actually had not read that one, nor was aware of it. And I'm tickled that you mentioned it because I two of my favorite books of all time are his most famous one, Crossing the Chasm, mm -hmm. and the follow-on to that called Inside the Tornado. So I'll have to check this one out. I guess they're quadrants, basically, right? On, and Correct. I think the, the axes are innovation and performance, right? Disruptive innovation, sustaining innovation, and then on performance, revenue performance, and enabling performance. On that, is that all about product categories or is it more about how the company is operating? Both. So our organization is chunked into, are you in the productivity zone? Are you in the incubation zone? Are you, is your team a transformation zone? Or are you in the performance zone? But also where are our products and how are they moving through, right? So the productivity zone is what keeps the lights on. Right. So that's your IT, that's your finance, HR, stuff like that. Your incubation zone is like your innovation. Like, where do we think we want to go? What have we tried? What have we piloted? Things like that. New product development, product New strategy. New product development. Yeah. Is it, is it what we think? Is it where we want to go? And things like that. That is its own world within PTC as well. You know, that's not just R&D, but it's the thinkers, it's the strategy and all of that good stuff. The transformation zone is what's come out of that incubation zone that's the next wave of the future of PTC. What's the big wave? So right now, the big wave in the, in the software industry and in the manufacturing industry is IoT and AR. Right. I think people are familiar, I mean, somewhat familiar with augmented reality, but let's talk a little bit about actually IoT and AR. So what does industrial IoT actually mean? How do you see or touch or feel that concept? So industrial IoT is working on manufacturing floors. So we don't sell IoT to the consumer. We don't sell it to the people who adopt, who buy Nest or an Alexa or something like that, or has like a, a smart refrigerator, right? We sell it to the manufacturing floors, John Deere, Caterpillar, 
Boeing, those things. So when they have, if John Deere has a tractor that has been sold and it's working on some road construction or whatever, that company will get information back. The company that bought it will get information back through our software on where this piece of equipment may start failing or may need an update or something like that. How it's performing. Is it efficient? Does it need an oil change? Like things like that. It goes right back to the person who bought it so that they can get ahead of it. You know, that started 10 years ago with like copy machines, right? So you had a copier and then all of a sudden the next thing you knew, the copy machine repair guy was in your copy room because he got a message that the copier was jammed or needed toner or something like that. So this started a while back. But when you're talking about airplane engines or cars or something like that, it's, you know, Boeing. How is this engine performing? Does it need maintenance? Is it working? Is it not working? Obviously, ideally, it's working. Where is this engine in the world? You know, is it being as efficient as it as it can be? Does it need a tweak? It's those kind of innovations, and it's those kind of support and software that we get. I mean, if we think about it, so we're driving our cars, and we have a little sticker on our windshield that's facing us that says, by this date or by this mileage, you need to get an oil change, right? We've all had those stickers on our windshield. Now the car is giving us a percentage of how much oil we have left. Because before we had no idea. This mechanic tells me I need an oil change when I hit 32,000 miles. Great, 32,000 miles, here's my car, right? I have no idea if that is accurate, you know, but when my car is telling me I have 5% left of oil, okay, that's information that's useful for me. When my car is telling me that my tires, one tire is a little lower than the other, that's useful information. Otherwise, I don't know. So now I know. Yeah, and I can, I can definitely see the see the value. Well, I'd love you. You mentioned a little bit of a very large transition, which is moving from perpetual software licensing to subscription based licensing. That there are new line companies who just started out in the subscription space and did not have to deal with that conversion. And there are plenty of companies, very, you know, especially large existing companies, incumbents, where they had to shift over. If you think about sales strategy and operations, I would assume that there were just absolutely massive shifts there. What were some of the considerations that you had to work through as you as you dealt or are dealing with that transition? So as of I think January, we are a hundred percent new business subscription model. Hundred percent global. We had to take a lot into consideration over the last three years as we did this. So we had to think about geographically, what does that mean? How can we do it? What are the contracts that people are under and how do we transform those perpetual contracts and convert them into a subscription model? What percentage of customers are we willing to sacrifice when we do this model change? How is it going to be received for the much smaller companies that use our product through, you know, resellers and stuff like that? So those were all considerations we had to take. And I think as of last, maybe a year ago, was when we started to really morph internationally to pushing people into renewals and subscription model. As opposed to a like single large sale and then smaller maintenance type of contract. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because one of the biggest things we had to get a handle of is we're selling licenses, right, into our software, but we have no control over the license. 
We don't know if one person's using it. They bought one seat of CAD. We don't know if 100 people are logging into that one seat of CAD. So we had to develop a whole license compliance team to find those violators and get them to where they need to be, you know, and kind of say, okay, historically, you've been having five people use this one license. That's not how it works. That's a violation of contracts. So you can either get five licenses or you can give us back your, all your stuff. <laughs> I, I have actually had to deal with that in, in one of my employers. You know, we were selling subscriptions. So even though it was a subscription model, right, people were sharing their licenses. Mm-hmm. And it was probably, you know, 10-ish years ago. We had the big debate internally about whether or not the account managers themselves should engage those offenders. We ultimately built a dedicated compliance team who Mm. monitored, and then they would work with the account manager. So the account manager kind of knew what was going on and didn't get blindsided Mm -hmm. to then engage the the customer. Is that, did you, it sounds like you went that route as well? Definitely. We We don't want our sellers in the fields to be the bad guys. We want them to have the rapport to be someone that our customers rely on, that count on, that, you know, things like that. So the the compliance team works with the account managers, but the compliance team is ultimately kind of, quote unquote, the bad guy. And they work with the finance team and the account managers are aware the call is going to happen just because nobody likes to be blindsided. You know, you go into a customer site, you think everything's hunky-dory and you're you know, champion of the project is all mad because they got, they just had this conversation with someone in license compliance. So it's definitely a coordinated effort, but we don't have the salespeople deliver the message. It's kind of a weird thing, but I, I did find that the customers, when you, especially the senior decision makers and the executives, when you made them aware about the license violations, they were actually quite cooperative because that was risk that they didn't want to take. I mean, right. smaller companies think very different. The you know license abuse, I think, is rampant in smaller companies. It's kind of like why music sharing went crazy with high school students and college students. Absolutely. But people who have more at stake obviously want to be in compliance. So that I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering with the sellers themselves also, what sort of training or retraining was involved in positioning a subscription-based service versus a perpetual license? A lot. People at PTC have been selling perpetual licensing for 30 some odd years. Not just understanding what that means to now sell subscription because it's still software. So we're not selling something I'm handing you, you know, but the value prop to the customer at the repositioning of the value. You don't have to bring the money up front. You pay over time. You know, we assume the risk because we're hosting it. We, you know, everybody's on the same version. You don't have to worry about bug fixes, like all that stuff. It's selling the value prop and adjusting the mindset. With all sorts of products right now shifting over to perpetual licenses like Office 365 or Quicken, I would assume you guys have competition even for these more transformational and innovative products that you're making as you move from that CAD and PLM space over to IoT and augmented reality? Definitely. I think what's helping us is that most of our competitors are doing the same transformation. They're moving from a perpetual to a subscription model. Some of them started this transformation a year or two before we did, and so which was great because then we could say, okay, you know, lessons learned, what went well, what didn't go well for that publicly traded company. And then some are 
you know, behind us doing the same thing with what we did, right? So there's more of a shift than I think people realize. But I mean, I can't even imagine buying something that's not a subscription anymore. Whether I'm the one consuming it or the company's consuming it, I can't imagine someone saying this day and age, no, I want to host the server. I don't want to be multi-tenant. I want to do bug fixes. I want all that overhead. And I want to give you all this money up front to make it happen. You know what I mean? It's just, it's the the shift. I also appreciate subscription models share the risk, right? That the company has an obligation then to continue development and optimization and fixing the software, I think at a faster pace because uh, customers can, you know, can opt out and then you will not realize the same total lifetime value with a customer. Exactly. Your, your ARR, your annual run rate is very dependent on the success of your being a successful subscription company. You know, you're not going to get those renewals if you're not a successful subscription company with customer support and all of that good stuff, right? So there's a lot of focus that has to happen on making sure that that productivity zone in that zone to win book is ready, not just sales, not just our product, not just are we hosting it? Is it on-premises or things like that? But our whole productivity world of IT, finance, HR, all of that good stuff still has to be part of this shift. And everybody and every team in the company plays a part in this, not just the zone to win and the PTC 2020, but the shift from perpetual to subscription. Bring it back to salespeople. We talked a little bit about training. Has this changed the nature of the people you hire? I would assume if you're selling to large manufacturing companies, right? The, as you mentioned, the Boeings and John Deere's and Caterpillars of the world. How does that affect the nature of the people you hire? So the people we hire or the companies that we acquire are in that almost a startup mindset, right? Because this is the paradigm market. We have to figure this out. We have to figure out how to be the leaders. We have to figure out how to be the innovators. We have to go fast. We have to fail fast and fix it right? So that energy is what we're bringing to the overall organization, whether it's a salesperson, whether it's a marketing person, whether it's an R&D or an acquisition of a company, it's that energy and that mindset of a go-getter. Yeah. And I noticed you, I mean, I guess a big part of this transformation, you mentioned acquisitions has been, you know, you're acquiring one or two companies every year, if not, you know, at an accelerating pace over time. Is that all in this strategy of moving from the traditional products to AR and IoT? Yes, absolutely. And how can somebody's product complement one of our established products to bring it into the next zone? There's all this research that says that most acquisitions are actually value destructive when you put the combined value together. What do you do to, at least on integrating sales teams and CRMs and so forth, like what do you do to ensure that those integrations go smoothly? So I've been on many of those acquisition teams and I have merged many of the systems and things like that. And it's, you know, a lot of people think uh, we acquired them, they have to adopt everything that we do and that's that. Well, if that was the case, then why did we spend money to buy them? They obviously bring something to the table, whether it's their product or their process or their engineering or whatever, right? 
So it's a matter of going into these acquisition meetings and teams and thinking, okay, yes, I own the process, lead to revenue process. What are they doing that can make my process better for my end users? And maybe it's just, oh, they're using a different software or they're using the software on top of another software and that's, that's an energy driver. It's looking at things like that and not having your heels dug in that your way is the right way. Nothing is static. Nothing is in concrete. Everything is iterative and changing and morphing and things like that with technologies, with people, with attitudes, with all of that stuff. You have to be open to my way two years ago may not be the best practice anymore, you know, and I can morph. And in two years, this, what I'm morphing to may not be the best practice and that's okay. That's okay. As long as you're using the best practice in the time in which you're doing it, that's great. But you can't wait until the best practice shows up before you do anything. Otherwise you're going to get lost. You're just going to get left behind. Definitely is a great learning mechanism and remaining open to how other people do things. It's a good lesson, not only for acquiring companies, but it's a good lesson for managing your career as a sales professional. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating story about what you guys have been doing there at, at PTC. If uh, people want to learn more about you or learn more about PTC, what's the best way to do that? I am on LinkedIn, Wendy Caputo, or W Caputo on LinkedIn. My work email, wcaputo at ptc.com. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 